been looking back along this winding road to an old familiar marker of the mercies I have known. I know it may sound simple, but it's more than a cliche. There's no other way to tell you but to say God's been good in my life. I've been blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could for through it all. God's been good. Times replay and I can see that I've cried some bitter tears. But I felt his arms around me as I faced my greatest fears. I've had more gains than losses and I've known more joy than hurt as his grace rolled share of hard times I wouldn't change them if I could for through it all God's been good God has been my father my savior and my friend his love was my beginning his love will be my end I could spend forever trying tell you everything he is, but the best way I can say it is this, God's been good in my life, I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could, for through it all, God's been good, God's been That, guys. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Psalm tonight. Psalm chapter 147. Psalms chapter 147. Psalm 147. I just want to share a couple of thoughts this, this evening. I had intended to, uh, you know, kind of close out our Back to God series, so I guess I can put those away, but I just want to look at Psalm chapter 147 for just a moment here and um, make a couple of notes. And boy, after those testimonies, I just felt like maybe, you know, I don't know, I just felt like maybe we just need to deviate a little bit from what we were talking about. 
But uh, let's go ahead and look at Psalm chapter 147. And let's go ahead and read uh, just that. And um, when I'm finished reading, uh, we'll, we'll continue. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll just make a couple, um, note a few, I guess, thoughts from the passage. Let's go ahead and read that. It says in Psalm chapter 147, verse 1, it says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. The Lord that built up Jerusalem, he gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Father, we come to you tonight, and we just ask, Lord, that you just uh, encourage us tonight, a simple passage. Lord, just uh, take your word and your, the truth out of your word and truly apply it to our hearts, and may we leave here, Father, just uh, thankful and more grateful for you, and just encouraged to know that you do love us, and we are very, very special and loved by you. Although the world may not see us that way, although others may not acknowledge those truths, you make it very clear in your word that that's the case as far as you are concerned. Now, we just ask that you'd meet our needs tonight and encourage us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. First of all, it says right off the bat to praise you the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but praising the Lord at times is not always easy. I know that in many cases, you know, when troubles come and trials hit, if times we can even struggle with praising God. Although he's done so many marvelous and wonderful things in our lives, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves so discouraged and so down and so dismal view, have such a, having such a dismal viewpoint that it's hard for us even to praise God. I know people would say, well, that ought not to be the case for you. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not, praise God, I haven't found myself in a lot of situations where I possibly or have felt that way. But there have been times in my life when, man, I've sat so low and felt so little that I, I could hardly look up, let alone praise him. And I can't imagine going through what some have gone through in their lives and still being told and commanded by God to praise the Lord. It's something that is going to ta- happen and has to take place. And God says, I want you to praise me. And we sometimes may wonder, why is it that we're to praise God? Is it just so that he can feel big, so that he can be somebody? Uh, no, it's because it's, he wants us to dig out of that spot we're in. When God is little in our lives, then our problems are big. But when our God is big, our problems are little. And so God immediately steps up to the plate and he says, praise you the Lord. And it doesn't matter what we're going through, and it doesn't matter what we're enduring, and it doesn't matter what we've seen. The fact is, we're to praise Him. Because in praising Him, God's going to bring deliverance in our lives. He's going to help our problems to seem so much smaller. As we elevate God, as we lift Him up, as we magnify Him, our problems get smaller and smaller and smaller. He goes on to say, For it is good to sing praises unto our God. Well, aren't you glad that we still sing praises to him here? 
And again, I know that we're living in a day when churches across the country are changing their emphasis and they're going and moving toward what's called contemporary music or Christian rock and roll or Christian rap or Christian country. May I say to you today that praising always focuses on the melody. It always focuses on the melody, whether it's in Ephesians chapter 5, we read about it, or Colossians, we read about it. It's always focusing on the melody line. We sing that chorus even tonight. You know, uh, just the windows of heaven are open. The blessings are falling tonight. I don't know about you, but when I get to singing those courses in my mind, it, when, it doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter what it's going through in my life. It does seem to help bring light to the problem. Man, I mean to tell you, the Bible's telling us here in the passage, it says, it is good to sing praise unto our God. And if you've ever done any singing praises, you know it is good. Not only good for God, but it's good for us. He says, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. It's pleasant. Well, I I don't know. Let me just put those two things together. It's pleasant, and praise is comely. We know that David was a comely young man in that sense. We know that what that meant was that he was pleasing to the eye, if you will. I've always been called that myself. And so the fact is, is that he's saying that praise itself, praise in the passage is said to be pleasant and it is to be comely. What that's saying is, is that it looks good on you. Do you know that praise looks good on a person? Boy, if you're critical and you're cynical all the time, can I tell you that's an ugly, ugly garment you're wearing. Boy, you put some praise on. You start elevating Christ. You start lifting up the creator of the universe. You go ahead and just magnify the Savior that bought and paid for your sin. And may I say, it looks good on you. It looks good. Boy, praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. He goes on in verse 2 to say, The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He builds up Jerusalem. Boy, God's a good builder, isn't he? I mean, we know and we can look back in Genesis chapter 1 when we can see that in the beginning God created. He's a builder. He's considered the master builder. Not only did he build the universe and build the world and build, in a sense, the first man, if you will, but he builds lives. And he takes those lives and he intertwines them and he puts them together, whether it's marriage or fellowshipping one with another as friends and family or even church family, and boy, he builds them up. If you want to build a relationship, you want to build a life, you want to build a future, you better get things right with God because he's the one that builds it up. We're trying to build things without God, it seems today. We're trying to build a reputation. We're trying to build businesses. We're trying to build financial success. We're trying to build a future. We're trying to build marriages and we're trying to build families on something other than him. But it is the Lord that doth build up Jerusalem. Why did Jerusalem fall? Throughout scriptures, we look through that Old Testament and we see that great place. They were a chosen nation. They were a holy nation. They were a peculiar nation. They were God's people and he had intended to bless them and to elevate them and to magnify them. 
to build them. But sadly enough, they chose to go it alone without him. And it wasn't building that they found. It was disaster. It says he gathered together the outcasts of Israel. And again, some would talk about that. We could go a number of directions there. One may want to go back and speak of just how at one point God's going to bring back together Israel. We could talk about maybe how there were others that were outcasts in Israel because of sin or because of physical ailments or problems. And he's the one, though, that brings people back together. He's the one that gathers together the outcasts. I don't know about you. Have you ever felt like an outcast? You ever felt like you were a, 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 a round peg trying to fit into a square hole? Wait. A square peg trying to fit into a round hole, that's a little better, right? You ever feel that way? I don't know about you, I felt that way in my life. I remember being a teenager and not feeling like I fit in anywhere. I didn't fit. And you know, you may feel that way even tonight. You may feel you just don't fit. You may feel that you're on the outside looking in. I'm going to tell you something. The answer is not finding a new hobby. The answer is not trying to find a new relationship or try to get a new friend. I'm telling you what you need is Jesus Christ. See, the Lord, he's the one that builds up Jerusalem and he's the one that gathered together the outcasts of Israel. We're looking for acceptance and love and to be received by so many, but really in reality what we need is acceptance and love and to be received by him. He said, praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcasts of Israel. And then in verse 3, he goes on to say, he healeth the broken in heart. Wow. I mean, how many times in the Word of God? Think, think about with me for a minute. You know, we think about the uh, Good Samaritan. And we've got this, this man that's on the side of the road now. And his wounds are opened. And he's in pain and he's suffering. He's broken. But in the end, not only will his heart be healed, but we're going to see ultimately that his wounds will be binded, brought back, cleansed, and healed. Man, I'll tell you what, each one of us have had some broken hearts. And maybe you have a broken heart right now. Maybe life has not provided you with what you anticipated or hoped for. You thought at this point in your life that you would be happily married, and you're not. You thought at this point in life you would have a 401k that would support you and your family in retirement, but it does not exist. You thought your job would be settled, secured, that you would have a future, and you realize it's just not there. And your heart is broken. Your spirit even may be being tested and tempted. Brokenness. Maybe, again, a relationship. Maybe it's your children that have not turned out the way you anticipated or hoped. My t I'm telling you today that there are a number of reasons for some broken hearts. But the Bible tells us that he healeth the broken in heart. 
I don't know what you've been through, and I'm not sure exactly what you're dealing with. In some cases, I may be privy to it, but I guarantee you this. Every one of us have some aspect of our life that we're looking for God to do a miracle in. We want God to heal something. We want God to help us. And the truth is, is that so many times we're looking to the wrong people, the wrong things to heal the brokenness in our lives. How many books will we read before we finally open his book? How many prescriptions will we get before we finally turn to his prescription? And what's it going to take before we finally come to the realization that there is no real, ever, there's no lasting help outside of Jesus Christ? Brokenheartedness. Well, the wounds in the hearts of believers today is run so deep. And we're good at putting on a smile and dressing up the outside, but in reality, we're broken on the inside. The only real solution to that problem is not found even in a church. It's not found in a right pastor. It's not found in friends at the church. It's not found in being involved in ministry. The real solution to brokenness is found in a person, and that, only, that one person is Jesus Christ. And you know what? You can try to mask the hurt by adding all kind of things to your life, all kind of people to your life, all kind of activity to the life. But until you recognize, until you admit and, 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 and realize that Christ only is the author of restoration, you'll forever be frustrated. He healeth the broken in heart, and he bindeth up their wounds Boy, the wounded in spirit. It's an amazing thing how many people, as you knock on doors across the city and the surrounding area, it's amazing how many people have been wounded in church. And let me tell you this. Sometimes they're wounded by their own, it's their own fault. Listen, I'm not, listen, I'm not one here to tell you, hey, listen, just because a church member gets bent out of shape, gets wounded or hurt is not always the pastor's fault. And it's not always a leader's fault. And it's not always somebody in the church's fault. Sometimes it's just them. And they feel hurt and they are hurt. And I, I apologize for the hurt, but may I say we, there is responsibility on both ends of that. I had somebody one time accuse me of hating them. Pastor, you hate my wife. And my wife says you hate her. And I said, I do. Well, how did she come to that conclusion? You didn't wave to her when you were going down the hill the other day. That's exactly what I was told. And I said, well, did it ever occur to you that I did not see her if I was headed down the hill? Well, that's beside the point. She, she just knows you hate her. Now listen, I, I don't know about you, but I can guarantee you this. I did not hate this woman. She's a wonderful lady. Honestly. I'd let her watch my kids. I'd trust her with my money. I mean, she's a great lady. And I addressed a few potential issues there that I believe were personal. I believe they were physical. So going through some physical changes. I tried to address the issue. I was told to, sh to not address it. Do not even bring it up. I will not face this problem. And I said, okay, well, then I can do nothing about it. 
Folks, listen, sometimes there's hurt. And that person would say they were hurt in church. It's not always leadership's fault. It's not always your fault that somebody that you were close to in the church got hurt. Unless you did not treat them in a Christ-like fashion. Unless you didn't have the right spirit or attitude. But I'm going to tell you this. Too often there are reasons for people being hurt in church. Wounded in church. Not being accepted. Not being loved. Not being included. Those are things that are in, unpardonable. I'm not saying that you have to invite people over to your house, everybody all the time. Now, listen, I, I get that. But I'm just saying it's a terrible thing when people have been hurt in church. But you want to know something? You know what the solution is for that? It, it's not finding a church where there are perfect people. That doesn't exist. It's certainly not a church finding a perfect pastor because outside of me, I'm just as perfect as it gets. And that's just not perfect. You are destined to be hurt again. You better figure out why or how you got hurt. And then you need to go forward. But I'll tell you what, the only one that's going to heal the brokenness, heal that wound, is Jesus Christ. Go ahead. Go ahead and look for someone else to heal it. It'll never happen and you'll forever be hurt. And then eventually bitterness will root in your li- get root in your life and it'll grow up in your life. And you'll walk away going, man, churches, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And God, this thing about God, if that's what God's all about, then obviously he doesn't love me like he says. Well, that's a bad place to get to. But in our passage, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Who are you looking to to bind your wounds, to heal your heart? The boss got upset. The boss made a bad decision. The boss even maybe let you go. And you're bitter and you're angry and you're upset and there is a wound. Okay, go ahead. Blame the boss all you want, but it's not going to fix the wound. Go ahead and try to find somebody that's not going to hurt you. But sooner or later, somebody will, because that's just life. You better get with the one who can heal it. That's Christ, and he's the only solution for your hurt, for your wound. He's the only one that will truly and can only take care of it. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. Now, you know, every time I get online and I start looking up stars and I try to figure how many galaxies there are and how many, uh, you know, uh, you know, Stars there are, estimate after estimate after estimate, right? Billions and billions and billions of this and millions of that, and but it's astronomical. Do you know who's the only one that really knows how many stars there are? Jesus Christ. God knows. He created all things. He knows exactly how many there are. Matter of fact, the Bible tells me that he even knows how many hairs are on my head. And if, don't get smart with me here, but some of you think you could count them too, but it's, it's a lot harder than you think, so don't try, okay? There's still a lot out there compared to some of you. <laughs> okay. What's a guy going to do, right? He's got to do something, right? But aren't you glad God knows those things? Man, he says, he telleth the number of the stars. And look at this, he called them all by their names. Now we could, 
get into that a little bit, and some might say the stars. He knows them all by name. Yeah, well, there's an issue there. We might even be talking somewhat about some angels running around up there too, and he knows them. But you know what? We can go ahead and name a star after you, but that don't mean it's its name. God knows what its name is really, though. Alphas Venturi. Remember that one? You learned about that one? Isn't that how they pronounce it? That's the closest star next to ours? Isn't that Alphas Venturi or something like that? Or what's it called, Mark? You would know. What? Whatever. That's how they taught you guys, you smart people. <laughs> and all these guys with college educations. You see how it goes? Correcting the preacher from the boy. Why don't you just roll with it, man? <clears throat> I got the Venturi thing done, or right, you know? Arctis Ventura then or something, Churi. I was taught about that one all my life. I grew up hearing about it, you know. It's so many times larger than our sun. It's so massive. It's this, it's that. You know that God really knows what its name is? I love that. (laughs) He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their name. Boy, if he knows all of those stars. And there are billions of stars. Don't you think he knows your name? 7.5, billion on the planet. Don't you think he knows your name if he knows all the stars' names? Boy, that's a personal God we serve. You're somebody. He says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Man, I, I mean, we can remove the man out of there and we can put, what, what is Mark O'Donnell that thou art mindful of him? You can put your name in there. He knows you by name. He knows you. Matter of fact, if you're a child of God especially, he knows you. The Bible says, the Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows you in a very special way. And we finally end up at verse 5. So praise you the Lord. For it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. And then he goes on to say, there's a number of reasons why it's good to praise him. There's a number of reasons. We could list so many, but he begins by saying, the Lord that built up Jerusalem, he gathered together the, con- the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. That omni that I couldn't remember this morning that I was reminded of, um, omnipotent all powerful God he is all powerful okay what is it in your life what's what's bigger than God in your life right now have you ever talked to somebody that's going through a problem though and and you you try to tell them you know really you know let's pray about this ah I prayed about it's not forget it Have you ever been with somebody that's so frustrated with their problem, they're so overwhelmed by it that they just almost, they don't even, they feel like even prayer's a waste of time. I mean, I don't know about you, I've run into that. You know what's really going on? Is that they're beginning to doubt that God's big enough to deal with it. They become so discouraged because the problem doesn't seem to ever end. It always feels like they're under the weight of that problem. No matter what they've said, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've gone, no matter who they talked to, no matter how much they've prayed, it's still there. Obviously, God is not big enough. And yet the Bible tells us, great is our Lord and of great power. 
And I guess must, much of this hinges on the next phrase. His understanding is infinite. Wait a second. You mean, is it, could it be possible that God is permitting something in my life that I'm not comfortable with? Is it possible that although God is all-powerful, that he's capable and able to remove any obstacle in my life, that he's allowing it in my life because he is infinitely understanding. He knows exactly what I need. His understanding, he gets the whole thing. He understands the big picture. And although I don't particularly care for suffering and I don't particularly care for obstacles in my life and problems to exist in my life, God may be saying, hey, guess what? This is what you need. I wonder, does that make God any less great or any less good? How many parents are there in the crowd? Let me see your hands. Parents. Sure. Put them down. How many times have you had to withhold something from your child that they desperately wanted for their own good? Let's even go a step further. How many have had to introduce things that were rather uncomfortable and maybe even painful for their own good? Why is it that we can grasp that concept? That sometimes our children have to feel a little bit of the, again, we're going to go ahead and our child's playing around the stove. And, and there's a fire coming out of the stove. Or the handles on the stove get really hot like ours. I don't get this. Got a stove that, honestly, the handles get so hot, sometimes you have to use gloves. That's what my wife tells me. I believe her, though. But I remember walking over to that stove and I touched a couple of those things to turn off that burner. I'm like, oh man, what is that? I mean hot. Not red hot, but hot enough that it burned my hands. Not so hot that I had to put it under cold water and blister it up. I mean, I, it, but it's hot. Why should it be hot like that? And so then a little child comes along, maybe like Adeline or somebody, and it was like, stay away from the stove, stay away from the stove, don't touch the stove, don't, don't touch that, it's hot, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that. I think, let her touch it. <laughs> What's going to happen if she touches it? She's going to get a little burn on her hand. What will she probably not do again? Probably not touch it again. Sometimes... God permits a little pain or a little suffering or a little discomfort in our lives because he understands the big picture and he knows exactly what we need when we need it. Great is our Lord and of great power. They used to say, is, is, is God... Can God create a rock that he cannot move? We say God cannot do the impossible. I think that God can do the impossible, excuse me. He can do the impossible. So we say there's nothing impossible for God. So can God create a rock then that he cannot move? 
That's a real philosophical question. And you say, well, no, he can't do it. So God can't? My point is, is there really anything in our lives that God couldn't remove if he, if he really felt it was best for us? And remember, it's not always just what's best for us. Sometimes it's what's best for them or for him or for her. Everything I endure and everything I face and everything I go through is not always just about me. Praise ye the Lord. For it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praises comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I serve a God like that. And no matter what comes my way, and I, I may be tempted at times to question this, and again, I'm not one to say never. And sadly, I've watched people say never in their life, and I learned a long time ago, we are all capable of the most heinous and wicked things in this world. And if that's the case, I know I'd be capable of questioning God then too. So I've got to be very careful, and I'm always on guard. I have to be on guard that I don't do that that I'm always recognizing who God is and how wonderful he is, how big he is, how powerful he is, how knowledgeable he is, and how capable and qualified he is to heal my every brokenness and every wound. And that he truly does have my best interest and the best interest of others at heart. Boy, the psalmist, he's sharing with us some tremendous truths about our God that we never forget them. May we always look to him, our God, as being great because he is great and he is our God, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the redeemer of all mankind. He is our God and I'm glad he's my God. Father, we come to you. We thank you again just for this.